You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on everybody? Welcome to episode number 22 of the FitFo Podcast, where I have conversations with amazing moms, dads and thought leaders of all different industries and hopes to help me figure out just how to become the father that I want to be for my two young girls. If you all are enjoying the pod, please reach out and let me know. I love the feedback, whether it's comments on Instagram, text messages, or emails. Uh, feel free, brianfitfo at gmail.com. It fired me up to hear what you think, so please continue to keep those coming. So my guest on this episode is one of the most authentic dudes I know. He's a teacher at heart with a master's in education, a certified life coach and host of the Life Enchanted podcast, Mr. Nick Carlisle. In this episode, Nick opens up about his struggles with addiction and how he's used his experiences to inspire and help serve others. His vulnerability and authenticity is just, it's truly inspiring and his insights will resonate with all of you. So join us as we explore the impact of negative and positive reinforcement on childhood development. We talk about the importance of consistency and iteration on the path to success and his fundamental philosophy of coaching. So get ready for a thought-provoking and enlightening conversation with Mr. Nick Carlisle. All right, well, here we go. Fitfo podcast with my boy, Nick Fury, as we like to call him back in the day. Carlisle, man, it's great to have you on, buddy. How are you? Brian, I'm awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Dude, it's been a long time in the making for us. You were supposed to be guest number two, but, uh, you know, I've had some learning and figuring it out along this journey. Uh, made you drive all the way over to my neck of the woods just to have some mic malfunctions. And uh, I don't think our freaking like camera wouldn't work. So anyways, thanks for coming again. Part two, we'll do it live. And I uh, just appreciate you, bro. Dude, grateful to be here. And I was just grateful to spend time with you the first time, man. Even though we didn't make it happen, it was awesome just to sp- uh, spend that time with you, bro. Yeah, well, we go back a while. We, uh, I think we met really on the intramural fields out at San Diego State, uh, a time yes, I think sir. we've both grown up from a lot. But uh, we had a blast back then, too. Uh, but last time we were chatting, man, you were teaching. You were at Del Oro. Now things have changed. So tell me a little bit about what's brought on the change. You left your career as a teacher. What are you up to now? Yeah, man. Um, Spent the last five years as a high school teacher, really actually to reverse even further than that. After SDSU, um, I got into real estate. I was basically being promised a company. I started working for that company, quickly realized how miserable I was there um, and how much I didn't enjoy the work, even though the pay was good and I was being handed the business. So I started coaching football. I reached out to my old football coach, started coaching football under him, ended up winning a state championship, which was awesome. Wow. And quickly started finding out that, wow, I really love being here at the school, spending time with these kids, influencing them, building the relationships, but had this blockage, dude, this ego blockage of, and like, you don't want to be a teacher. What are people going to think about you? You're not going to make very much money. You're going to have to go back to school. All these narratives that, honestly weren't serving me. Um, So I started praying about a lot, talking to people about a lot. And the Lord just confirmed the direction through other people, dude, through conversations. Nick, why don't you be a teacher? Like random people just affirming me. And it was like, all right. 
So I went back to school, got my master's degree in education, um, got my dream job at this high school, which is my alma mater. I met my wife there. Um, so got in there, went through a ton of hoops to make that happen, got into that space, started teaching like a, a business kind of class with graphic design, video production, stuff like that. And then started to feel the Lord call me out, man. I just started to feel like I wasn't destined to be in room 303 teaching Frosh Tech was the class uh, for the rest of my life. So that um, uncertainty and that feeling obviously was uncomfortable and like, really? I just spent 30 grand on a freaking master's degree, but um, I couldn't ignore the, the calling, dude. So started praying more and more about that. And all the time while I was teaching, I also started um, putting out content, stuff that was helping me um, via a podcast, via Instagram. And then I stumbled upon coaching, man. First it was health coaching. Um, and then it went into life coaching, wellness coaching. And then I went deep into that rabbit hole. And that's what ultimately pulled me out of education, man. I um, started doing that on the side, building my clientele, um, going all in on that. And then just kept praying about it, talking with people about it. Last year I went to part-time at the school. So only teaching two blocks and then, um, the final nail in the coffin was administration came to me last year and was like, Hey Nick, we want you to go back into math. We want you to teach math. And it was like from the job that I had where I was like my own boss, I designed my own curriculum. I designed my own class flow. I was going to be put into the math department, which was like, it's, I mean, math teachers should be paid way more than frosh tech teachers is what I'll first say. <laughs> but the amount of test prep, the amount of grading every week, the amount of um, like, I had to oblige to all the state standards, all that. So administrative administration, putting that, you know, in my way was like, all right, that's another confirmation from the Lord for me to peace out. So last May I jumped out of education, formal education and started my own thing, man. Um, and what that looks like is I still say that I'm teaching. I'm a teacher at heart. My grandfather was teacher of the year in Bakersfield. My mom's a teacher. My grandmother is a teacher. Teaching is in my DNA, dude. Um, so I'm just teaching from different platforms now. I'm teaching from the podcast, I'm teaching from Instagram, and I'm teaching in the, the coaching sessions that I have with my one-on-one -on -one clients and the group coaching as well. Nice. Well, that's definitely what I wanted to talk to you about today was a mix of those things, right? Life coaching. I think everybody, you know, when you're playing sports growing up, you were a great athlete. You had a great coach, I'm sure, that helped you along the way. And as we get yes. older, people start to think, oh, I don't need a coach. I don't need a mentor. Like, I got this. And, you know, that's just so false. And so I'd love to dive in a little bit about life coaching, understanding, you know, what that really is and, and how you're helping impact lives. Uh, I think that also translates into two things we're most passionate about being fathers and how you're using those types of lessons uh, at home as well. But, dude, what you've done with your Instagram and growing that account since I've known you has been so fun to watch. And so, you know, I'd be curious to learn Thank from you. How did you do it? Because for me, you know, I'm at this stage now where this has been a fun passion project. Like this is not an income generating job for me, but I love it. Like I enjoy it. And if I actually want to make an impact, I've got to learn how to do some of those things that you've done uh, to be able to grow the audience and, and make it. Uh, have a bigger reach for the people that are willing to spend their time with me. I feel like I owe it to my guests to try to grow this thing to be as big as possible. So areas I'm curious yeah. to to pick your brain on today, but maybe you can start with life coaching because 
tell me, you know, a little bit for those that think, oh, this is, you know, kind of just some something people put on their Instagram handle, but they're not really doing yeah. shit. Like, what does it really mean? Yeah, man, dude. Yeah. So great question. And you're right. A lot of people have heard about life coaching or haven't heard about life coaching. What is it? What is it not? And I was the same way. Like, what does this look like? Um, so kind of starting high level, the way that I think about it is I, I juxtapose it with like therapy and counseling because it's kind of in that same world. And what I've seen is that therapy and counseling, I've done thousands of hours of that, super important, but that's mostly about our past and reworking our story and healing the trauma and changing our perspective on our past and understanding our past, etc. Um, and coaching is more so about future creation. Okay, your past is that way. I get that. But what are we creating from here forward? What are we going to create together? And one of, I mean, you said it a minute ago, we've all had, a lot of us have had awesome coaches in our lives. And it's from um, athletics, usually. Coaches reside in athletics and they reside in the arts. Like musicians have coaches, coaches, artists have coaches. Um, actors and actresses have coaches and then athletes as well, Olympians, um, NFL players, etc., high school players. And what coaching is all about is, is seeing the potential in the person across from you and holding them to that potential, helping them become aware of the limiting beliefs, the limiting narratives, the limiting ideas that are holding them back. Um, and with that awareness, that new awareness, help them create the life that they want. So oftentimes to make this like really practical, one of the first questions I'll ask people in a discovery call is like um, some version of the magic wand question, which is, so I'll ask you this question, Brian. Um, say we worked together for six months and you got everything you wanted out of coaching. Coaching changed your life completely. You have this magic wand and after those six months, the coaching just worked. I would then ask you, describe that person to me. Who is he? After the coaching has worked, how is that person different than you are now? And then I would keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And um, one of the interesting things about coaching that people misunderstand, one of the fundamental core philosophies of coaching is that all the answers reside in you, my friend. Yeah. People think they're going to come to a coaching session and get like this sage on the stage who's, you know, telling them what to do and giving them all this advice and information. But for the four, first like 40 minutes of my coaching calls, I'm just digging, dude. I just got a shovel and I had a coach tell me the, the best coaching question, best coaching question you can ask someone. He calls it the awe question. A-W-E. And what else? Mm. And what else? So if I ask you that magic wand question and you're like, man, I'd be doing this. If the coaching worked, my relationship would be like this. My body would be like this. I'd be working at this job. I'd be making at this. I'd be making this income. And I say, all right, what else, Brian? And then you keep going. And I say, okay, what else, Brian? And what else? What else? And I, that's just digging. And through that process of questioning, of asking clients open-ended questions and being genuinely curious about them mm. and listening to them and reflecting back what I'm hearing and just keep keeping on digging, ultimately you come to your own conclusions and your own realizations. 
And man, I've had, I've had sessions with clients where there, I mean, there's a lot of tears and there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of like profound insights. And they're like, Nick, man, like this was incredible. I don't know what you did there, but like, thank you. Uh, this was amazing. And I'm like, dude, all I did was ask like four questions, <laughs> but when you're able to the, the number one skill I've found and what my mentors have showed me and coaches have showed me is the number one skill of a good coach is the ability to listen hmm. more specifically, listen non-judgmentally. So I have clients like that oftentimes scared to tell me stuff and I have to make the distinction with them. Like, man, you can, you can't tell me anything that's going to make me think less of you or judge you or hate you or think you're wrong. Um, I'm just genuinely in a coaching call and I've had to develop this skill, Brian, but I'm just genuinely curious and genuinely loving. And I see the beauty that you are and I'm confused why you have all of these thoughts and narratives and ideas about yourself that are simply untrue and that are holding you back from creating the life that you want. So that's really what, I mean, that's high level coaching. Um, and it's so much fun, man. It's so much fun. I love it. That seems like it. I feel like I've made a career out of being in leadership lately, you know, the last stage. And it's that's what I get the most enjoyment out of is coaching other people to see success for them to reach their optimal potential. And, you know, nobody yes. will ever fully you know reach that and accomplish it. But when you let them start to make those strides and you help them and really all you're doing is unlocking yes. the power that they've got within them. But, yes. you know, you said it, you know, the awe moment. It's ironic because the last couple of guests that I've had on, we've been talking about leadership a lot. And they always said, if there were one more thing, like if you finish that meeting with, if there were one more thing from your people, what would that be? And that's usually when the magic happens because you truly understand after people have like let off what they think you want to hear, then they go into what actually matters for them. Right. And so it sounds like you do that consistently over and over again in these coaching sessions. So I'm curious, is there, you know, an area that you hang your hat on? Like, is it health and wellness? Because you've got that background. Obviously, you're a Christian. So is it, you know, faith related? Uh, is it yeah. Because you tap back into your educational roots and you can talk from a, a teacher standpoint. What do you feel like yeah. you're best at? Yeah, man. Great question. Um, so one of the ways I kind of describe it, think about it is and tell clients is I, I have no agenda or curriculum. Mm. For your listeners who don't know me, which I'm sure most of them don't, um, my story is that of death of a sibling early in my life. Um, I found refuge from my feelings through substances. I started smoking weed when I was 12, and I smoked pretty much every single day, dude, until I was 25. Like, cannabis was just a huge part of my life. And that led into prescription pills and partying and alcohol and a rap career. I was an intern at Warner Brothers under the hip hop department, working with big names, um, living in Los Angeles. And my world, dude, just really started to crumble around me. And luckily, by the grace of God, I was saved out of that. I've now been sober for almost nine years. And... Um, all of this was born out of that suffering and out of that pain. And I basically had to start solving my own problems in sobriety because after I got clean, dude, after I got sober, I had all these feelings, these emotions, these, this dysregulated nervous system, um, 
these mood fluctuations, this mental unhealth. And I'm like, what, what the heck, man? What am I supposed, what am I supposed to do? How can I help myself feel better? And I started listening to podcasts. I started reading voraciously and just started to solve my own problems. And that led to me saying, okay, if this is helping me, if eating like this, if um, taking if cold exposure like this or these supplements or this way of meditating or praying or community or whatever, this book, this quote, whatever is helping me, it's probably going to help someone else. Mm. So I have a lot of that in me, a lot of those insights um, because I've had to do the work on myself there's a quote that says the depth of your pain is proportional to the height of your calling. And I have that information, but I don't necessarily bring it into coaching sessions and try and um, put it on you. Like, okay, here's my curriculum for Brian Verdusco. He's going to be eating like this. He's going to be doing this. He needs to change this relationship. I'm more so listen, 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 listen for 45 minutes or so. And then Based on that digging, I'm able to, okay, how does this relate to my past? This is almost a subconscious occurrence here, that uh, this thought process. But what will come up naturally for me after I listen to Brian for 45 minutes is something that's related to what he's sharing with me. And we're super deep. So I'll bring in some information or some insight or an experience and I'll provide that to you and say, um, what does that mean to you, man? What does that speak to you? What do you hear in that? How does that help you? And then we'll go from there. So to answer your question, I don't necessarily think that I have like this niche nuanced expertise, um, that, that I just want to kind of deploy onto people. It's more so I've, I've experienced quite a bit and I've messed with quite a bit and got my hands and tested and experimented with things. And then I go into these conversations and pull from all of that as I'm hearing what they are trying to communicate. Um, but so with that said though, I consider myself a holistic life coach, which means we talk about, um, relationships. We talk about vocation, which includes finances, career, all of that purpose. We talk about mental health. Obviously we talk about emotions and feelings, um, spirituality, and physical health as well. Those are kind of like the pillars that I've found everything pretty much falls into. Yeah. Well, I always love watching your posts because you're always talking about, you know, the health and wellness in particular is what stands out to me and somebody that I look to for, you know, actionable insights and things that I should be trying. I think we're both uh, biohackers. And so you know, I can yeah, always yeah. see what you're doing and, and check, check it out and see if it's going to work for me. Right. And I think that's what you're doing for yes. people is giving them uh, just different avenues to explore and see if it might help <clears throat> have the same type of impact it had on you for them. And if you're able to do yes, that, sir. like you're serving somebody, that's a win. Right. Yes. And whether yes. they're a paying customer or not, it's, you know, still you feel good. You get that sense of um, accomplishment and, and fulfillment. But there was something that yes. you talked about. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for even being willing to share some of that story. I know that's probably not easy to disclose, especially, you know, in the public's eye. And I listened to your testimony or a part of it uh, prior. So if anybody wants to get to know Nick Car Carlisle a little bit better, go check it out on the Life Enchanted podcast because, man, that was powerful. Like, I've liked you as a person for a long time, but dude, once I listened to that, I, I just, I like you even more. Um, and I didn't know Thank the struggle you, and what you went through. And so uh, I hope people can learn Thank from you, it and, and be able to use that to to go forward in their lives because you totally have done a 180 and it's, it's been fun to see where you're at now. 
but, thanks brother yeah. it feels good to be known dude um it feels good to to share my story my life my pain the darkness that i've experienced the struggles all of that because it makes me feel known man and i can share all these those things and i'm still accepted and i think that the human soul c.s lewis has a quote that says something like the the primordial objective of human existence is to be known and loved that podcast you're talking about was my last day teaching as a high school teacher and i brought in my podcast equipment and i set it on my desk and I said, this is the last time I'm ever going to be with students. And I want to tell them everything that I wish I could have told them over the last five years. But I felt like I've had my mouth taped shut because of, you know, the district and parents and state of California. <laughs> so, yeah, being able to go in there and share with those kids what was really in my heart and cry in front of them and share with them my spiritual beliefs and some coaching insights and all of that was like, it was difficult, but it was one of the most powerful and liberating experiences that I've ever been a part of. Um, and I think that that's really interesting, dude. And I think that part of the mental unhealth that exists in our world, most of it is the fact that people don't feel known. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. They don't feel loved or accepted warts and all try and hide those things. We try and mask them. We try and shun our past or avoid it or not think about it. We have shame and guilt about our past. And what I have come to realize, dude, is that our story, our past is, is a part of our identity. It is our identity. I could make that argument that our whole story up until this point is your identity. And if we, fight against that, if we hate it, if we try and hide it, we're hiding who we are. We're hiding our identity. We're fighting our identity as opposed to embracing it and sharing it and leveraging it and using it to grow and inspire and love and learn, um, which is difficult mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable, super uncomfortable but there's so much freedom there and there's so much peace there and there's so much love there. Well, I think everybody loves um, an underdog story, right? Everybody mm. likes to see somebody that's gone through the muck and, you know, they've been able to come out on top and, you know, whatever yeah. your definition of on top is, you know, that changes for everybody. But I would say you're on that path, right? Mm. And it's because you were willing to go through those struggles and then you faced them, which that's our problem. We don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but you have to start somewhere with your loved ones, with friends that you trust, with a coach like you and being willing yes. to start to tackle those demons, you know, one by one. And it becomes a powerful process, right? And that's why I think people can probably resonate with you is because they know that you have faults. You're not living this perfect life. You have overcome adversity. Um, but now you're here to show, well, let me teach you something so you don't have to go through what I went through. Or if you're going through what I went through, at least you got somebody here that can go along with you. And that's yep. a powerful yep. thing. Mm -hmm. Well said, dude. So going off of that, because, man, I've got so many questions. Um but you started to, you know, you're in L.A., as I understand it. Mm -hmm. You're at, I don't know if you want to call it rock bottom, but what was that, you know, match moment where you just struck it and you're like, all right, let's turn this around. Dude. Is there anything that stands yeah. out as like that moment? Yeah. 
So you'll get to that in that podcast, but it all came to a head, all of the suffering and all of um, that, that trajectory of my life that was destroying me came to a head on a trip down to Mexico with my wife, who was three months pregnant, and my in-laws. And Brian, my prayer that entire week going down to that trip before we were going down there was, Lord, change me on this trip. Change me. I'm high. My wife doesn't know I'm an opiate addict, a Xanax addict. I'm smoking weed like on the balcony of our apartment when she's, you know, sleeping, like just completely wearing a mask, completely unknown, dude, completely unknown, unseen, unheard, suffering. And my prayer before that Mexico trip was, Lord, change me on this trip. Change me on this trip. I was just hoping he was just going to press a button in my brain, like, bink, okay, you're done. Everything, we're just going to move forward and you're going to be, all is going to be wonderful, right? Um, so we went down there and I brought like the last of my Xanax and the last of my opiates. And I remember licking like a Saturday morning, opening the Ziploc bag, dude, and licking the powder out of the bag because I was starting to experience withdrawals. Um, I went out that same day and played golf and was just hurting, dude, withdrawing um, from, the, from the pills. And I was out on the third hole on the first nine. I was out looking for my ball and I was hurting, sweating, dehydrated, pain, achy. And I was praying to God, dude, just, Lord, help me, help me. And this bush in front of me, dude, explodes into butterflies, like 500 butterflies, dude, just poof. <laughs> and kind of snaps me out of my like prayer trance. And it was like, whoa, and it was just like kind of eye-opening. Then later on the back nine, I'm out looking for my ball in the desert again, which is common for me playing golf. (laughs) And the same exact scenario is occurring. I'm out there hating my life, shame and guilt, sweat, dehydration, aches and pains. And a bush has a family of jackrabbits in front of me. And as I'm praying, it, they explode in every different direction, snap me out of it. And I'm like, holy moly, wow, Lord. And I just felt like creation was responding to my like deepest prayers. Mm-hmm. And so I went back into the, the condo that I was with with my wife and my in-laws. And um, that night I ended up having a seizure, falling on the ground in front of my pregnant wife and flopping like a fish. And she thought I was dying. Um, and I blacked out. And I was taken to the hospital and my parents got a call that night. They started driving from Sacramento to Mexico at 2 a.m. The next morning we met them at the border. I came clean with everything. I tried to lie at first. Like, I'm not sure why I had a seizure. Maybe it was because we played golf and I'm dehydrated. And the Mexican doctor was looking at me like, dog, like dehydration doesn't cause seizures. You're a drug addict. But I I wasn't coming clean. So... Finally, I came clean, dude, to my in-laws, to my wife, to my parents, to everyone. And again, following this theme of being known, when I came clean, Brian, I I was instantly so much lighter, dude, so much more joy-filled, so much like it, the weight of the world was lifted off of me, which was paradoxical and kind of ironic because my wife was in the deepest suffering of her life because she just realized that her husband is a drug addict. Right. And same with my in-laws. So long story short, man, my parents met me at the board. They they said, Nick, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I said, yes. And they dropped me off at Betty Ford Clinic, which is one of the premier rehabilitation centers in the world in Palm Springs. Um, And they drove me straight there. And I was there. I missed Thanksgiving. 
um, with my family, um, and I came home Christmas Eve, and God changed me on that Mexico trip, dude. Wow. The Lord answered that prayer, and the single bag that I brought down to Mexico for three days, I had with me of clothes and stuff for 35 days um, that ultimately led to my sobriety, man. So that was it. It was a, it was a direct experience at the end of the day, what it was, it was a direct experience of the power of God working through me. It was what healed me, dude, was the revelation of, of that, of Holy moly. That was an answer to my prayer. The seizure was an answer to my prayer. I was praying for him to just press this button and make something happen. But what really needed to happen is I need to be smacked down to the ground so I can build back up into, um, you know, who the father created me to be, dude. So that was the moment that that completely shifted and changed my entire life. Oh, man. Well, thank you for saying that and sharing that. I, I had no idea. I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, are covering something up as well. So, you know, I, I hope mm-hmm. I can reach them and, and they can start to, to think about that. But for me, mm-hmm. my first thought after that is like, how do you express that to your children? Like, mm-hmm. have you started to think about how am I going to introduce it? Because inevitably, uh, they're going to find out. So mm-hmm. you want to be the one that tells them, but they're too young now. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. That's I spend a decent amount of time thinking about that. Mm. And what I've come to realize is it's going to happen organically with each kid in its own way. You know, I'm, and I'm not sure how that's going to be, if they're going to listen to the podcast or if we're going to have a, a moment where I share with them those things. I, I have dropped hints with my kids, especially my oldest about, you know, daddy's, um, like past and, uh, overcoming struggles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, But one thing that I won't do, which is really interesting, and I think something worth mentioning here, um, and I was actually talking to my wife about this last night in the sauna, and this was a really profound realization for me. Growing up, Brian, my parents always told me, um, Nick, addiction is in your DNA. My grandfather drank himself to death, the same one who was the Bakersfield High School Teacher of the Year, um, a Bakersfield City Teacher of the Year. my aunts passed away. She was a drug addict. My uncle was a drug addict. My other uh, grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, my, all of my dad's family, brothers and stuff struggle with addiction. Um, but from the earliest I can remember, dude, I was told that I'm an addict. Nick, if you, if you don't ever use substances because addiction is in your in your veins. It's in your DNA. You're never going to be able to stop. It's going to overtake you. Look at your family. And as a parent at, from, this is no judgment on my parents. They think that they are helping me, like trying to scare me out of that. But knowing what I know now in coaching, especially with the power of words is that what I believe is that my brain was programmed that I'm an addict. I didn't have a choice whether or not I was going to smoke weed every single day or if I was going to pop pills and I was going to like it from my first conscious experiences, dude, I have been aware that like addiction runs in the family tree. So to answer your question, one thing that I'm not going to do is that is tell my kids a daddy's an addict. So it's in your blood too. Mm -hmm. I get the logic there, dude. 
I absolutely get the logic there. And if I didn't get into coaching, I probably would repeat that. But I really don't think that that served me or it's going to serve my kids. So that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind, dude. Wow. Yeah. It's so common. People say that all the time. It's like, oh, I've got addiction to my family. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point, right? If you just keep conditioning that into your brain, like inevitably, dude. you know, it can become true. And so the words that you tell dude. your children, so impactful. The, one of the distinctions, man, one of the distinctions I like to make in coaching, coaching involves a lot of distinctions, I call them, like make the distinction between um, thoughts and feelings or the true self and the false self or um, biology and spirit, making distinctions. And... Um, one of the distinctions that I like to make um, is that words are not descriptive. They are creative. Mm. This is one of the distinctions I make with clients. Words are not descriptive. They are creative. My parents were not describing my biology. Oh, you have addiction tendencies. Let's cut them open. There's the addiction organ and you know they weren't describing what was real about me they were creating that reality for me so when i say man this traffic is killing me if i'm sitting in traffic guess what happens traffic kills me i'm frustrated i'm stressed right or we use words oh man the if you start paying attention to the language you use and putting on the filter of them being creative, the language being creative as, as opposed to descriptive, you will quickly start to realize why you have so much discomfort and fear and um, anxiety in your life. Because we walk around creating that reality with negative language. Ah, I got that meeting. Ah, I don't want to go to that meeting. Ah, I'm, ter I'm a terrible speaker. Or, I had a client last week, we, we were hopping on a call and he was like organizing his notes and he's like, man, oh, I'm sorry, dude, I got crazy ADD, dude. I can't like focus. I'm just trying to get everything organized. And I pressed into that. It's like the first thing he said to me, I'm like, where did that come from? Where, like, who told you that? And we go back into his past. And when he was in third grade, he was he was in a private school and the teachers late use that language. Oh, he has ADD. Let's take him in for a meeting. And they go into the doctor's office and they, they use that language. So here's this kid who's been programmed with this language of I am ADD. And I'm not saying ADD doesn't exist, but what came out in that coaching call, dude, is that he's never believed that about himself. Mm. He, he knows he doesn't have ADD. He was just bored. He was too smart for his third grade class. He, the, the content he had already mastered and he was sitting there twirling his fingers and like being disruptive because he was bored out of his mind. But here he, and that was his, that was, that was true for him internally that he did, that he was not the ADD kid, but because the language that has been put on him his entire life, he shows up to a coaching call of like, oh, I'm ADD. Sorry, I'm, I'm so disrupted or like cluttered and all this stuff. He shows up as that because he's been labeled as that because people have used words to tell him that his entire life. So the power of language of words is we could talk about this a lot, man. I could go deep down this rabbit hole. But one of the spiritual teachers that I follow says your words are your wand. Your words are your wand. So Brian, every day when I wake up, 
the things that I say to myself, I am a unique expression of the creator God, and I too am here to create. I am full of love and therefore light. The kingdom of God radiates through me. I am endlessly captivated by the most beautiful woman on the planet, Lindsay Michelle Carlisle. My words are a gift and I fear no man. I put that to memory and I say that to myself over and over and over again, declaring who I am, using my words to create my reality. Because Brian, guess what happens when I say I am endlessly captivated by the most beautiful woman on the planet, Lindsay Michelle Carlisle? Guess what happens when I say that to myself? Man, I mean, it becomes all you know. I mean, yeah. you worship her. She shows up. The most. I walk out of this office right here. I go into the kitchen, and it's the most beautiful woman on the planet, dude. Yeah. And I'm endlessly captivated by it. That's powerful. Because man. I speak it into existence, and my words are my wand, and my words are creative, not descriptive. Do you I think about now trying to do that same thing at home? You know, I, I try to do words of affirmation. I'm not as consistent in the way that you do it. I'm, I'm more of a journaler in the mornings. And so, you know, for me, it's gratitude. And, you know, I talk about that. Number one is always, you know, just Brittany and, and being able to just be so fortunate to have her there. Uh, because, you know, I don't feel like I deserve her, but she's there every day. And so I have to earn that. But then it's the girls, right? Being able to be a father is something that, you know, I, I'm lucky to have that experience, right? Not everybody mm -hmm. gets that chance. And it's my responsibility to take care of them the best way that I can. Um, and then the last one always kind of alters. It's family. It's work. It's kind of a, a mixture. Who am I going to have on the podcast today? It was about you, right? And mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a powerful thing, but do you teach the mm -hmm. kids words of affirmation? Do they do it, you know, when they're brushing mm -hmm. their teeth with you in the morning? Because, you know, mm -hmm. I've seen those TikToks or I've seen those Instagram yeah. stories and, you know, I try to do it on the way to school now and we'll look in the mirror mm -hmm. and we'll start to say, you know, today is going to be a great day. And I know people are probably mm -hmm. laughing at me right now and then we'll, you know, just start to rhyme about what we see in our environment and what we're happy <laughs> for. Uh, but curious how you do it at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that, man. I they, I don't have them do affirmations or anything of that sort, but I do, I am very um, particular with the language that I use with them and that I allow them to use themselves. So we were at the beach two days ago and my son was trying to figure out this little sand toy thing and he couldn't get it. He like couldn't clip clip the tractor thing onto the bucket thing. And he got so frustrated and looked at me and Dada, I can't do this. And I said, Bubba, we don't say can't. And he looked at me because we've done this so many times. He said, Dada, I'm learning how to do this. Will you help me please? Oh. And just, just the subtle energetic difference between, I mean, if you just hold that in your brain, I can't do this, I can't do this. The energy that comes from that sentence in your mind is completely different then I'm learning how to do this. I'm learning how to do this. Can I have some help? Mm. Um, so I'm very intentional. I can't is a bad word in our house. And I constantly call that out with our kids. Um, and we switch it there. They've all been trained to switch it with. I'm learning how I'm learning how to do this. I'm learning how to play the piano. I'm learning how to tie my shoe. I'm learning how to put the syrup on my pancake. Um, so I'm, I'm hyper diligent about the language that 
I use with them and that I speak into them. I create them with my words. Oftentimes when they are sleeping, one of the things I've dug up in my research and reading is that the subconscious mind is most vulnerable in the in the PM right before bed, right as you are drifting to sleep, and in the AM when you are waking up. And the reason for that is because you have different brain waves occurring. Um, so while I'm in there and I'm sure that you go into your daughter's rooms and lay with them and rub their hair and sing with them and have your little night routines. I go into their ears and I just tell them things that, and I create them. I create them. I tell them things that I think I say, I think you're amazing. I think you're so beautiful. I love being your daddy. I'm so proud to be your daddy, Drew. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. And I create that in them. I tell that and I try and program that brain that they are loved for who they are. They have to be nothing more and that they're accepted and that they're amazing and that I'm proud of them and that they're, they're safe in my house. So I'm very intentional with what I, I put into their ears and I'm not, I, dude, I, I fail often mm-hmm. and I yell often and I get mad often and my emotions get the best of me often. And another thing I'm very intentional about doing in that regard is apologizing for those things, asking for forgiveness from my three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and totally. Judah, like yesterday I told, I, I told Judah, even though he got in trouble and he shouldn't have done what he did, I raised my voice. I got mad at him. It was I, I felt like I didn't handle it well. So prior to him make it, prior to me making him apologize to me, I went up to him and I said, I got down eye level with him. I said, Judah, buddy, I'm sorry that I raised my voice with you. Will you forgive me? And he said, yeah, dad, I forgive you. And then after that, he said, dad, I'm sorry that I spilled that all over there. And I said, that's okay, buddy. And he said, I won't do it again. I said, that's okay. I forgive you, buddy. And then he gave me a hug and we moved on. So I modeled the forgiveness Mm -hmm. and I showed him that I can be vulnerable or weak or that I can admit my mistakes and then ask for forgiveness and then grow and heal and love together and then move forward. Um, So some, those are some of the things that come to mind, dude. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of some of those things too, right? It's like you want to model the behavior that they're going to emulate, but I can picture this weekend like um, my daughter hit the couch when she was frustrated, and mm. I know exactly where she fucking learned that. Yeah, because <laughs> I did that. I was upset about being late a week ago, and I was out the door, and I dropped something, and I just hit the couch, just let my anger get mm. back to me. I didn't even realize she was watching, but she mm. was. And so, you know, I had to do the same thing. I have to sit her down. I have to talk to her. Hey, that's not okay. Behavior. I'm sorry that that's the example that I set for you. Like that is not how we handle our emotions. And, you know, then they apologize just like your son did. You know, they, they understand uh, more than we realize, but you know, we're all going to make mistakes. You know, nobody here is going to be perfect as a parent. And I think anybody that's a, a father or mother can tell you that. But how you handle it is what I think our generation needs to continue to work on. And, you know, there was a, a post today, Andrew Huberman. I'm sure you're probably a fan knowing who you are. Uh, but he was talking about the study of kids' intelligence. I don't know if you've seen this yet or not. But he was talking about the data showing kids 
they would two sets of kids they take the exact same test right and once they completed those tests they were given praise for doing so but there were two types of praises first one you're so smart you're so talented the next set of kids you tried really hard you persisted through that great job so are you praising for intelligence are you praising for effort and that wasn't what was so emphatic it was the next thing it was when they went to go take a test again what they realized is those kids that were praised for their intelligence scores decreased kids that were praised for their efforts their scores increased right and so it just goes to show you the words that you're putting in your daughter's ears are so important and i think about it because we were doing a puzzle right last night and she did a great job she put a piece in great job you put the piece in the right place right Uh, but i wanted to finish the puzzle later she didn't want to do it and it was just full circle because it was like i was praising the wrong thing i was praising that she got it right i was praising you're so smart babe but like, I wasn't praising the effort and the attitude. And that's what I need to continue to remember. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you're well on your way with that too. But it was uh, something I was like, whoa, okay. I got to remember that. That's a great insight, dude. And what I hear in that at a, at a deep level is, and this is just because I've had to do this work with my own inner child and my own self. But there's one of the distinctions I make is between negative reinforcement as a child and positive reinforcement as a child and how that shapes how we show up. So for instance, for my three-year-old son, when he does something and I'm like, Judah, what are you doing, dude? Do not do that. Go in timeout. What he hears subconsciously, what his subconscious brain collects because his subconscious only wants to survive And as a three-year-old, the only way to survive as a three-year-old is to stay in the nest. So what he hears is I, if I show up that way, excuse me, if I show up that way, I'm unacceptable. I'm not allowed in the tribe. I may be kicked out of the tribe. This isn't conscious for him. This is subconscious. So next time I need to show up differently. I need, I can't. I can't do that. Even though I want to do that, I can't do it. I need to ignore my authentic needs and then oblige to the agenda of someone else and wear the mask to be approved by them. See that mm-hmm. and how that could cascade. So that's negative reinforcement of, oh, when I do that, I'm unlovable. Or like in seventh grade, when, or dude, when I was in third grade, I walked a kid home from school, my best friend home from school. And I was missing these two teeth right here. And his little sister came outside and she's like bobbing her head with her little pigtails. And uh, I was dropping him off because we were skateboarding. And she looked at me and she looked kind of funny at me. She was like confused. She's like, you have bunny teeth. <laughs> and Stuck with you. Dude. And as, as a third grader, what I heard, what my subconscious took from that, again, this wasn't conscious, was... I am unacceptable when I smile and show my teeth. So guess what I started to struggle with? Smiling, showing my teeth and hiding it. So that's negative reinforcement. Um, Positive reinforcement is, oh, Brian, you got a 4.0, let's go get ice cream. Which is, uh, most parents do that. Oh, good MVP, let's go, let's go celebrate. Which most parents do, and it's fun to do. That's what you did with your daughter with the puzzle. Well done. Let's go. Great job, baby. Here's a sucker for doing that. But what 
the the child hears is I'm acceptable and lovable when I when I am perfect. Mm. When I get a 4.0, when I'm the MVP, I need to be MVP or 4.0 to be loved. That's what I need. So there is where perfectionism is born. And this, this stressed state of having to achieve and be the top and be successful. And what I hear in that experiment that you talked about with Huberman is that the kids who were praised for that, who got that positive reinforcement, now they had all the pressure and stress to do that again because that's what they believe they need to do to be accepted and loved. Mm. Whereas the other group just knows that they have to work hard and they'll be accepted and loved. So which, which of those groups is going to be able to f- focus on the content more? The one that's freaked out about getting the wrong answer and is going back and questioning their own innate intelligence. And I, I think it's C, but what if it's not C? Oh, gosh. Or the one that's just like, ah, who cares about the outcome? I'm just going to work hard because I know that if I work hard, like that is what I'm going to be accepted for, right? That they're more present. They're more engaged. Ah, I can figure this out. So... I think that's a really profound point that you made, man, and something that we don't, as humans, we, th- I mean, this, this type of stuff wasn't taught to us in high school or in, mm-hmm. you know, elementary school, this type of programming, subconscious, how it's manifesting in our adult lives. But it's such a profound point how those things have shaped us, because I guarantee you and every one of your listeners, if I were to press into their past, tell me about a time where you felt like really embarrassed or really accomplished or really um, fearful, um, random memories would pop in your brain. That distinction, man, of those positive reinforcement, negative reinforcements, and how they uh, relate to our consciousness and how we show up is is deep and profound, man. Yeah, I I think we all can relate to that story of like, what happened in our childhood there's an instance whether it was a kid at the playground or it was a a math test that you bombed that you're just you know how often do you get those kids that are just i'm not good at math it's like what do you mean you're not good at math oh they've just been conditioned since they were in fourth grade Mm -hmm. i'm just not good at this right because they did one thing wrong but it stuck out and it dug deep and it created Mm -hmm. a wound Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I feel like we can talk on this topic all day long, dude. It, it's so fun to, to hear your perspectives and, and just be able to chime in the way you Thanks, did. Man. What about, for me, a life enchanted, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. your podcast, I wanted to learn a little bit from you. You're 90 plus mm-hmm. episodes in. I know you haven't been mm-hmm. as consistent lately as you were because you've been mm-hmm. focusing on the coaching and the Instagram. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. words of advice for somebody like me that's yeah, yeah. 20 episodes in. But I need to make that leap on social if I want to make the impact that I feel I was now destined to make, right? Mm. So uh, I'm curious to maybe think either podcasts or social, like where would you direct me to get better at what I'm doing now? Uh, knowing a little mm. bit about me, you've seen you know, the podcast now, you've, you've been a guest, like how do I grow this thing? Yeah, man, great questions. I think there, there's different ways to approach that. The things that have helped me that I've had to learn, one is, share everything, anything that's helping me. I used to have this idea, Brian, that like, I got to save the good stuff for my coaching clients. I can't really like, if I give away the stuff on the podcast, then the people who are paying me $350 an hour are, are going to be like, dude, I heard that on your podcast. Like, give me back my money. Mm. I like, I had all these thoughts and ideas about what that was going to look like. And 
what a coach helped me see is that your goal as a podcaster, as in putting out Instagram content is to add as much value as possible to people's lives. Hold nothing back. My coach tells me, Nick, if you want to make $500,000, you need to put a million dollars worth of value into the world. Because one of the laws of the universe that I've found is that the more value I put out, the more value comes back to me. I'm not talking necessarily just financial value. If I'm putting out all this value and, and content, it might come back to me in the form of a relationship. It might come back to me in the value form of an experience, of a trip, or of a speaking engagement, or it might be money. But where my brain first goes with that question is don't hold back your value. Mm -hmm. Share everything, everything. Um, the other thing that comes up for me is obviously the consistency aspect of it. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Um, it's easy for people to look at some of my content or the podcast or the Instagram and be like, wow, like you gained a decent following pretty quickly or whatever. But what they don't see is the, the thousands of iterations that have gone into the success. Um, people don't recognize that the work that is done prior to the product is also part of the product's price. So let me say that a different way. Mm. Picasso, there's a story about Picasso. He was in a cafe and he was drawing on a piece of paper and he drew something like in two minutes. And a woman apparently went up to him and said, hey, I'll give you $20 for that, Mr. Picasso. And he looked at her and he was like, no, nah, 25,000. And she was like, you just made that in two minutes. And he was like, no, ma'am, sorry, this took me my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much wisdom there, right? Like me saying that I charge $350 an hour, that's not accurate. That's not accurate at all. I'm charging $350 for a conversation that stems from thousands and thousands of hours of me waking up at 5 a.m., of meditating for hundreds of hours, of reading that book, of having those conversations, of going in that sauna, of traveling down and seeing Andrew Huberman live in Los Angeles last October. But consistently putting in the work over time, over the last five years, showing up and failing and failing and iterating and iterating. This post doesn't work. That post doesn't work. This podcast got a lot of views. This one didn't. What did I do there? What's the difference? But iterating, 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 putting in the time consistently is what leads to the, the product that actually works. Hmm. Malcolm Gladwell has that famous quote of it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at anything. Yeah. Naval Ravikant says um, it's not 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 iterations. 10,000 iterations. And what that means is 10,000 failures. 10,000 failures, Brian. That's yeah. why I've been able to be decently successful because I've just failed. I mean, it's like that Jordan quote, that Michael Jordan quote. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. You know, he says, like, I missed 486 shots in my career or whatever, like all those stats that he yeah. had, I've, uh, you know, um, 
26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. And then he says, I failed over and over and over in my life, and that is why I succeed. And that's been true for me, man. That's been true for me. It's just the, the, the reason that I'm a decent coach now is because I've had a thousand conversations that um, were failures, but the client doesn't think it's a failure. They, they've had good conversations, but for me, it's like, ah, that didn't work. I didn't like that. I'm going to try this next time. Ah, that felt weird, blah, blah, blah. But I've just been iterating. So that has been huge for me to embrace. Mm. And understanding the, the programming behind the reluctancy to iterate has been helpful. So to go deeper on that, the reason that you and I and most people, your listeners, are reluctant to iterate is because going back to education, what have we been programmed since day one? For I mean, for, for 20 years of our first glimpses of life, the people of our lives have just beat into our heads that the worst possible scenario for you is to get an F, mm. to fail to get half right. You have to go to the remedial class if you do that. You might have to go to a different school. You might have to go to that other type of teacher or you might have to have this designation on your report card or you're not gonna be successful in life because you get Fs. We have been programmed, Brian, our entire life that the worst possible outcome is failure. Avoid failure at all costs, Hmm. but What's interesting is that that is exactly what's required for business and for life and for discovering your passion and purpose and building into your true vocation. I'm sure that I could ask you about, Brian, tell me all the failures about getting to the position you are within this company and with this podcast right now. And you, we, and I could go back to my coaching question and say, and what else? And what else? And you could just list them, list them, list them. So to answer your question, man, I think at the end of the day, it's iteration. It's iteration. Yeah, I mean, growth happens from failure to failure, right? And mm-hmm. to me, that's the thing that it's so funny. I'll, I'll talk about being in sales for you know a decade now, and you know I would teach my you know my people underneath me, you know how do you go from you know each rebuttal to try to just go with enthusiasm to the next one, learn from what you did wrong, and keep going, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what helped me see success. That's what people that have taught me along the way, but. Truthfully, I just haven't been willing to put in that work to do this. You know, like I haven't iterated a million times. I haven't been able to post that and fail, post that and fail. I don't like to post on social. That's just not my thing. Like I'll post, but I don't like to do it consistent, consistently uh, because let's be honest, I'm probably afraid of what people are going to think of me. Or, but I'm already doing this. It's like, put it out there, consistently see what works, see what doesn't, learn from it, and then keep going. And you said this at the beginning of the podcast. Just by asking those questions, you help them come to the realization of what's going wrong. Yes. They didn't need you to help them get there, but you helped them get to that point, and that's where the magic happens. And so... You didn't teach yep. me any hack today. You didn't teach me what you did that helped you get to, or, you know, the followers mm-hmm. count that you're at that's led to the business mm-hmm. clients that you've been able to land. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was always there for me. I just need to continue to work on it. And I appreciate you being able to bestoke that uh, information onto me because it's uh, something I'm going to work on. Absolutely, man. There's a Winston Churchill quote. He says, um, success is going from failure to failure 
without loss of enthusiasm. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so good, right? And that's that's really what it is. It's it's data. It's data. Okay, how can I use that number to, you know, increase the next time? What what is that telling me? Yeah. I know I think about like the first couple episodes and you know, you get off to a hot start, you start to get more than you probably expected. And then you take some time off, you don't be consistent. And then you get back yes. there with some great guests and you're like, dang, that one didn't perform. What happened? Yeah. Uh, man. And then you want to give up then you go through this trough, but you just got to keep going. If you really, if it's mm-hmm. something that you love, that you care about, that you're passionate to do, you got to be willing to put in the hard work and just go step mm-hmm. by step. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Well, man, so many life lessons today. So many things that we can continue to jam on. I'd love to talk again. I know we're at the point where we had allocated today, but uh, we should definitely have a part two because we didn't even scratch the surface on what we can I got a lot more things that I want to talk about, man. So anytime, man, this has been awesome. And Brian, like I've, I've been seeing your content pop up recently and the stuff that you are putting out. And I just want to affirm you, man. You are good at what you do. You are competent. You are intelligent. You're a people person. You're a good interviewer. Um, And I just want to affirm you that I see you in the lane that I feel like is is meant for you, man. I, I just see it in you. And I just want to encourage you to keep iterating within that lane, dude. Oh, brother, I appreciate that. And and same for you, you know, keep up the good work. What you're doing has been fun for me to follow along. You give me hope. You inspire me from a, a distance. You know, I probably never have told you that before, but uh, you're one of the reasons why I was willing to take this leap is because I've seen what you've been able to accomplish and uh, I'm going to try to do it myself, man. So thanks for thanks. coming on today, brother. Uh, until next appreciate time. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. All right, guys. And that's a wrap for episode number 22. Man, what a story he shares, huh? I mean, it's so great to hear how he overcame addiction and to see the man he has become and the father that he is for his children. Uh, It's been awesome to get to know Nick. And if you want to learn more, check out mylifeenchanted.com or follow him on Instagram at nick.carlisle. So if you like the show, it would fire me up. Again, please leave a review. Let me know what you thought. Share this with a friend. And thanks again for tuning in. So go be great and go fitbo. Some shit out.